today. It's like we've got a good number this morning, and uh, we're really glad that each one of you is here. If you're visiting with us, we hope we'll have a little bit of an opportunity before you have to leave to get to know you a little bit. We certainly invite you to come back. We'll meet again tonight at 5 o'clock, and then Sunday, I mean Wednesday at, at 7 o'clock. And so, welcome anytime. Uh, just uh, feel free to come and be with us, and we'll uh, appreciate your presence. Uh, I know we got a, a few out of town, I think, that are, that are not here, so we miss them while they're gone. We have some, of, as we've indicated already, that are struggling with illness or family issues, and so we want to remember all of those in our prayers uh, when we uh, pray privately as well as publicly. I'm going to begin by just reading a few passages this morning. I want you to kind of keep these in mind as we make our way through the lesson today. I've got them up on the screen. And so the first one is from Acts chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. We'll go through verse 5. Acts 22, beginning in verse 3. I am a Jew, Saul of Tarsus says, now Paul, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And so Paul the apostle is thinking about and describing his life before he became a Christian. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. As I said, not a Christian yet. In fact, very much opposed to the gospel. And he describes his efforts here to really do damage to the gospel, to do damage to the church, to try his best just to kind of stamp out this movement that was uh, making some headways and making progress at this time. And so he persecuted the way, that is the way of Christ. He persecuted it, binding both men and women and putting them into prisons. The next passage we're going to look at is in Acts chapter 26, a similar passage. And again, these are the words of Paul looking back on his life, describing what it was like, what he tried to do before he became a Christian. We're going to begin reading verses 4 and 5. So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, from, which, uh, from the beginning, what was spent among my own nation and, and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And then we're going to skip down to verse 9. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is just what I, I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And then he goes on to talk about his journey to Damascus to continue persecuting Christians. And so what's, what's the picture here uh, of Saul? He was a man who was raised a Jew, very zealous, his family very zealous for the law. He's very much con convinced that that's the right way to go. 
And when these people began to rise up saying, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God, he was, oh, as he says here, just enraged him. Or he wasn't just opposed to it. He was furious with these people. And he would put him in prison. Uh, and when the decision was being made whether they should live or die, he said, thumbs down. They ought to, they ought to die. And so I just want to get, you know, before you get that picture. Well, the next one we're going to read is found in Galatians chapter 1. And again, a, a passage that this is from the hand of Paul which he describes his former manner of life. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. You've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And as I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, Extremely zealous for the ancestral traditions. Here's my life in Judaism. I thought, it, I thought it was the right thing to do to try to persecute these people and try to destroy them, destroy this movement, destroy the church. Now I, want to, I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to these verses in a little while. But I just want, to keep, I want you to keep that in mind. Have you ever done something... And then later, maybe even almost immediately think, well, why did I do that? Why did I, why did I say that? Why, why did I do that? And like I said, sometimes we do something and almost immediately, why, why did I say that? Or maybe it takes us some time and we think back in our lives, think about some of the things that we've done, and, and we think, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking, I don't know what I was doing, I don't know why I did that. Or a similar question is, can we choose to do what we want to do? Now, why did I do that? Well, did I have a choice in the matter? Could I have chosen to do otherwise? Do we have the ability to choose to do what we want to do? Or are we pretty much uh, uh, victims or, or prisoners or entrapped by one thing or another? Well, as you know, that, that's, that's been a, a question that's been on the minds of, of people for a long, long time. I mean, going way, way back in, in, into the ancient world, people are trying to ask and answer this question. Do, are we free to choose to do what we want to do? Or are there powers out there that are determining our lives, what kind of people we are, maybe even the individual actions, our, our destiny, our future, are there powers out there and forces out there that are determining all that for us? The ancient Greeks believed that the gods and the goddesses controlled the destinies of human beings, especially those god goddesses known as the fates. And we use that word sometimes, it's fate. And so there was a group of goddesses who were determining the, the lives of, well, of everyone determined when they would be born, what kind of people they would be, what their future would be, when they would die. And so all of that was a matter of, of fate. It was sort of out of our hands. It was in the hands of the gods and the goddesses. People did what they did because uh, the influence that the gods exercised over them. So some believe that fate 
is, is an impersonal force. It's, it's just a force out there. It's not, it's not the gods or the goddesses, but it's, it's just a, an impersonal force that controls our lives. It would be the opposite of chance. You know, if something happens by chance, there's no predetermination to it. It just happens by happenstance. You know, there's no logic to it. There's no reason for it. It's not predetermined what would be done. It's just chance. Now, now fate is the opposite of, of that. It's an irresistible power over our lives. Now, somebody's described fate as being blind. It's not that fate has a purpose in mind, necessarily. It's inscrutable. We really can't understand it. I don't understand why what's happening to me is happening to me. And it's inescapable. We can't do anything about it. So according to this view, human beings are controlled by fate. It's just our fate. It's just what's going to happen. It's been predetermined. And really, I had no, ultimately had no choice in the matter. Somebody has observed that this works, this only works looking back. You know, as we go forward in our lives, it looks like, well, I could take this path and this path or this path. I've got lots of choices, but as we look back, we might think, you know, why did I choose that path? Well, it must have been fate. And so some have suggested that that's why we do what we do. We really don't have much choice, if any choice, in the matter at all. In Acts chapter 17, you might remember that Paul was disputing with the Stoics and the Epicureans. Well, the Stoics believed in fate. And so, and so they believed there, there's this power, this influence in the universe that sort of uh, determined what would happen to you. And the best way to, to live, the, the, the way to be happy in life, is simply to yield to those forces and if, if fate determined that something bad would happen, well, it's out of your hands. You might as well just accept it and, and go on and, and not, not struggle against it, not fight it. You can't win anyway. And so, and so just, just accept it with contentment. And if something good happens to you, same thing. Don't, don't get too high about it. After all, it's not your duty. It's just, and, and so if, if things bad happen or things good happen, just accept that and be content with it and handle it stoically. You know? and that, that's the way we describe it. The Stoics believed in fate. And the best way to be happy is just accept what's happening to you without fighting against it, without struggling against it. And so all, all of these are attempts to answer that question. Why do we do what we do? Do we have any choice in the matter? Can I decide for myself to do this or to do that? Here's another explanation people have given through the years. That we are what we are and we do what we do and what happens to us happens to us because of the time of year in which we were born. You say, oh, I was born in June. June 11th is my birthday. And so I'm a Gemini, you know. And so the stars, the alignment of the stars when I was born is going to determine to a large degree what kind of person I am and what happens to me. If you're a Gemini, your personality is spontaneous, playful, and curious. Now, if you're a Leo, you're passionate, loyal, and dramatic. I, I, I remember looking in the newspaper from time to time, and there would be a section on astrology. And if you're a Gemini, you could look up and see what, what was going to what kind of day you were going to have that day or the next day. 
And, uh, you know, be, be happy. You're going to find something valuable unexpectedly. And so throughout the day, you know, you, oh, I found a pencil. I wasn't expecting that, you see, you know. <laughs> or run for the hills. Today is going to be a disaster, you know. <laughs> it's always really general like that. But, but that's just an attempt really to, to answer that question, isn't it? A am I free to choose? Or is my life the kind of person I am? What happens to me? Is that determined by some other force? If you remember reading Romeo and Juliet, if you're a freshman in high school, you probably read that this year, Romeo and Juliet. Remember they're described as star-crossed lovers. Remember that? And so it was the, it was the stars that brought them together. And so they, they become a couple, not, not necessarily because of their own free will or their own choice, they're, they're star-crossed lovers. And um, something goes wrong, well, the fault is in our stars. Maybe you've heard that, the fault is in our stars. Well, that, that sort of reflects that idea that our lives are determined by and influenced by the stars, what time of year we were born. Well, I'd kind of be surprised if any of us in here accepted any of those theories. That we, we believed in fate, or believed that the gods and the goddesses were controlling our lives, or, or really even if uh, when we were born, you know, we're born under a certain sign, and that, that, that dictates to us what's going to happen. But we may believe we're subject to other powerful influences that pretty much determine our choices and behavior. We, can, we get pretty close to saying, well, the reason I did this was this or that. And so I want to talk about some of those this morning, just, just for a little while. It might take me a few minutes to get through all this. We, we might say, well, you know, why did, I, why did I do that? Why am I this way? Why do I behave? Why do I live this kind of lifestyle? Well, it's just the way I was raised. That's the way I was raised. Have you ever said that before? Heard other people say, why, why do you do what you do? Well, it's my upbringing. It's the way I was raised. I am the way I am because of the influence my parents had on me. And so I drink. Well, that, that's what my parents did. Or I use a lot of profanity and bad language. You see, that's the way I was raised. That's what I heard in my home. Or why do you talk to your wife the way you do? And why do you berate your children? The way? Well, that's the way I was treated. That's the way I was brought up. And so, and, and so I'm, I'm just kind of repeating what I was exposed to as a child. And so my behavior is determined by my parents and the way I was brought up. Or lack of parenting. And so I didn't have a father in the home. And so that's why I do the, what I do. And, and I'm not questioning the fact that that has a strong influence. But are, are we so influenced by the way we're brought up that we're trapped? That we can't choose our own path and choose to live the way that we choose to live? There's a lot of truth to the fact that that uh, we are influenced by our parents. I, I suppose that nobody has as much influence over us as our parents do. And the children of alcoholics do often become alcoholics. And children that are abused often do end up at least verbally abusing their own family. But, but again, are we trapped in a cycle of bad behavior because of our upbringing? Can we choose? Can we choose a different path? Can we choose 
another, another course. Well, we'll come back to try to answer that in a minute. Sometimes a person might attribute his behavior to, to his emotions. Well, why, why did you say that? Well, I just got so mad that I, just, I mean, it just came out. And so our emotions, you know, we kind of blame what we say and what we do. Why'd you do that? I was so angry with that person that I just, and, and so I, I couldn't help it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, I had no choice in the matter. My, my emotion kind of overpowered me, and, and so I did what I did. Or a person might say something like, you know, I, I just want to be loved. I, I just want to find that love that I'm, that I'm searching for. And, and so that, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm looking for that, that support. I'm looking for that affirmation. I'm looking for that, you know, just, just the, the love that I, I, I crave so strongly. And so, and so I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, our, and I, I would admit, our emotions, if we're not careful, our, our emotions can get the better of us. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4 says, Wrath is fierce. Anger is a flood. Who can stand before jealousy? There's two emotions, wrath and anger. As bad as wrath is and as bad as anger is, they don't measure up to the kind of damage that jealousy can do. And so, yeah, our emotions are a powerful force in our lives, but are we so trapped and imprisoned by our emotions that we can't deal with them and manage them and then, and then choose to do something other than what our emotions are, are influencing us to do? All of us have a, a straw, I think all of us, most of us anyway. We, we have a, we're social creatures, aren't we? <laughs> We, we don't necessarily like being alone. Now, maybe some people do, but, but we don't enjoy being alone. We don't want to be loners. And, and people that are loners are, are really kind of uh, outside uh, the, you know, the norm. We, we, want, we want some friends. We want, we want to have some friends. We, we want association. We, again, we, we want the support and the encouragement that being part of a group supplies. Sometimes, however, we might get in a situation where our desire for friends and our desire to be part of the group. I, I, wanna, I don't want to be outside. I, wanna, I don't want to be an outsider. I want to be part of the group. And so the people in the group are putting pressure on us to do certain things, to behave in a certain way. And our fear of being ostracized and alienated from the group, you know, that, that, that influences us to make poor decisions. You ever been in that situation? Yeah, I'm not asking for hands, you know. But, but maybe you've been in that situation where, you know, you look back on it, maybe even currently. I just want to be part of the group. And in order to fit in with the group, in order to have these friends, I've got to talk like this, or I've got to behave like this, or I've got to make this choice. I, I, don't, want to be, I don't want to be rejected. I want to be accepted. And so our friends have a great deal of influence on us. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companions corrupt good morals. But do our friends so control us that we cannot resist their pressure? Sometimes people will attribute their behavior to society or cultures, long-established institutions or customs or systems. So I, I was born into a situation, and, 
And, and the society expects this certain behavior of me, and it tells me I ought to, you know, I ought to do these things and think like this and talk like this. And, and so society is shaping me and, and molding me, and, and I am what I am because of the system, because of the, the culture, because of its institutions, because of its customs. And so I'm a victim of, of the system. Well, I, I don't doubt that the culture has a strong influence over us. The situation into which we're born, that, you know, that, that can be strong influence over us. But is it so strong that we can't choose to do something differently, to be a different kind of person that society expects us to be? That we, make, we can make different choices than the culture expects us to make. Do we have that ability to, to choose? Sometimes we attribute our behavior to our, what I, I just described as our, our psychological constitution. Now, now, now don't get me wrong here, okay? <laughs> kind of hesitate to even make this point, but don't get, don't get me wrong. I, I believe that there are many who are subject to psychological factors that influence their behavior. Legitimate psychological factors that influence their behavior. People suffer from depression and anxiety. They're bipolar or they have obsessive compulsive disorder. I believe that those are legitimate conditions that influence our behavior. Discouragement, that, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a mighty effective weapon in Satan's arsenal. You, you get discouraged and you know, that's, that's bad. And so there are legitimate psychological conditions and situations that, that, uh, that affect our behavior. Sometimes they're, they're severe. I understand that. But are all those who deal with these so controlled by them, they can't ever choose their own path? And then finally, Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 uh, talks about living according to the flesh and walking according to the flesh and having the mind of the flesh. He says, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Sometimes we attribute our behavior just to our bodily impulses. And so we have a strong bodily impulse to drink so, and so we do. Or we have a strong bodily impulse to gratify our sexual desire, and, and so we do. Some people have strong same-sex desires, and so, well, and that's just the way I am. That's the way my body works, and so that's what I do. And, and Well, I understand that the flesh is a mighty strong influence over us. The, the desires of the flesh are really strong, really influential. But, but are they so strong that we cannot but yield to them? That's our question. And so there's, there's no question that all of these things exert enormous influence on us. All of them. Our upbringing, our emotions, our friends, society and culture around us, our psychological constitution, our bodily impulses. No question that they exert enormous influence over us. But do they so control us that we cannot choose our own path? That's, we get pretty close sometimes to saying that. 
Why do you do the, what, what you do? Why do I? Well, it's this factor, it's that factor, it's this influence. As if we have no control. We can't choose our own path. We can't choose a different way of life. Well, I, I want to suggest that, that we can choose our own path. That, that sometimes, even though these things are influential and powerful forces in our lives, we can so deal with them, you know, we can deal with them in a way that allows us and enables us to overcome them and choose our own path, to become a godly Christian. Well, I'll tell you one thing that, that teaches us that we can do it is, is our own experience. You know, all you got to do is go on the internet and type in something like people who overcame tremendous obstacles or something, and you'll get a whole list of people that overcame powerful influences and powerful forces and, and sometimes very uh, detrimental forces in, in their lives. Just enormous obstacles and they become successful, even becoming faithful, strong Christians. Maybe you've known some people like this who, who came out of really adverse, difficult circumstances to, be, to become strong Christians. Maybe you know some people, maybe you're one of those kinds of people, but maybe you know somebody who is. And our own experience teaches us this, this, is, this is a possibility. People are born into difficult circumstances. They may be born into poverty or a bad home life, or they may face psychological challenges. They may face opposition from society. And yet they accomplish great things. Here's some examples. Einstein didn't speak for the first three years of his life. His teachers thought he was lazy. Well, he has tremendous impact, becomes very successfully. Van Gogh sold one painting in his lifetime. One. I got these all online. You can find them yourself. Nothing uh, secret about them or especially insightful. Stephen King was rejected 30 times by publishers before his first book was published. And, and it was his wife, what <laughs> I understand, really encouraged him to continue trying. Edison failed a thousand times before success. Frederick Douglass, born into slavery, taught himself to read and write. Taught himself. Now that's, that's, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? Teach yourself to read and, and write. And he becomes a great writer becomes a great orator and a leader in the abolition movement. So born into slavery, becomes a leader in the movement to abolish slavery. And so our own experience tells us you can be born into difficult circumstances, you can face all kinds of challenges, but you can overcome those things. There's too much evidence for us to give up when facing difficult circumstances. John Newton John Newton was a sailor that lived in the 18th century. He was very profane. He lived a very ungodly life. He was involved in the slave trade. <clears throat> now, you just think about that. <laughs> That's, I, I, I don't, you, you can't get much worse than that, can you? Involved in taking human beings by force out of their home, putting them down in the hold of a ship for days sailing across the ocean and selling them as property to people who then use them like a tool. And yet, he changed his life. If you're not familiar with the name, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. And so that our experience teaches us that we can overcome the challenges, all these kind of things that we've been talking about. The scriptures teach us that we have will and we can draw on that will to overcome the challenges as well. Let's look at a, a few passages. We looked at 1 Chronicles chapter 29 a few weeks ago. You might remember that. David is giving instructions to his son Solomon as uh, he's preparing to, to build the, uh, the temple. I think I said chapter 29 is chapter 28 and verse 10. And so David tells Solomon, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act, he says. David, his son, gave his son the plan of the porch and so forth, and, and he, he set out to build it. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is really the verse I wanted. As for you, my son Solomon, know that the, the God of your fathers, know the God of your fathers, serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. A willing mind. You have a will, you know. A willing mind. Be willing to serve the Lord. You might encounter some obstacles and difficulties, but will with your mind to serve the Lord, and you can do it. Look at a couple of passages from the book of Psalms as well. The 54th Psalm. Look at the 54th Psalm, and we're going to look at verse 6. Willingly, New American Standard Bible, willingly I will sacrifice to you and will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. We have will. We can do things willingly. We can purpose to accomplish or achieve or reach a goal, and, and, and we can do it. The 110th Psalm, verse 3, Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power and holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. Your people will volunteer freely. And so these, these passages suggest to us that that we can decide to do a thing and do it and accomplish it. We have will, or we have a heart, we have a mind. And so instead of being a victim to our bodily impulses, we have a mind that can decide, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to practice a little self-control, and I'm going to do this. And so all these things influence us. They influence us greatly and strongly. But... Don't forget that we have will, we have mind, we have a heart, and we can choose to do what we will. John chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Whoever is willing to do his will. And then you may have already thought of Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let, this is New American Standard Bible, the one who wishes, other version says, whosoever will, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And so we have, we have that component to our you know, personality. We have will, we have a mind, we can determine to, to do, follow our own path or follow the path of our choosing. Let me just look at one other passage in Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel describes a number of well, three successive generations. But listen to how, the way he describes this particular situation. Verse 14. Behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins, which he committed, and observing them does not do likewise. 
And then he sort of specifies the things that he doesn't do. But he, he keeps his hand from the poor, does not take the interest or, or increase, executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will, he'll live. And so here's a man. He's born with this particular father, born into these circumstances. Father was a very ungodly, wicked man. But the son, he takes a different path. He doesn't do the way his father has done. He does the opposite of what his father has done. And so the Scriptures teach us that we have will, that we have a mind, that we have a heart. Might use those words instead of will, and that we can choose our path, choose our, our life, if we set our minds to do it. The second point that I'll make about this, or third one, however you want to number them, that God invites us to seek Him. He, tell, he invites us, seek me. You know? Why would God say to seek me if we, can't, if we can't seek Him, if our choices and our lives are so controlled by these other factors that we cannot help but do what they dictate for us to do. Remember Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, so, so you've been exposed to all kinds of influences. Now, now you, but you choose. You choose whom you will serve. And then in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, you remember that Moses sets before them life and death. I'm setting before you life and death. And so, verse 19, choose life in order that you may live, you and your descent. Choose, choose life. And so I know your history. I know you're rebellious people. I know you're stiff-necked and obstinate. I know you're stubborn and, and you want to go your own way. But you, know, you can choose life. And so that's what I encourage you to do. Break, break the cycle, you know. Break free from the influences that are moving you away from God and, and choose life. Isaiah chapter 55, we read this just the other night, a Wednesday night. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He was near. While he, why, would, why would God invite us to seek Him if, we, if He knows we can't seek Him? You know, uh, he's inviting us to. That implies, of course, that we're able, able to do so. And, and then there's this factor as well. That there are lots of examples in the Bible of people who overcame difficult circumstances. Daniel, for example, remember, set his heart to do God's will. And so when he was faced with eating the king's food, under pressure to eat the king's food. And he, he made up his mind. He set his heart to do God's will. Even though there's enormous pressure on him to conform, well, he decided he wouldn't conform. And so he used that mind, he used that will to, to choose his own path. Worked out very well for, for him. In Matthew chapter 23, you get a little bit different picture. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. That's what I wanted for you. I wanted to, to bring you in and, and secure you. and Just like a hen brings her little chicks under her wings and protect you, but you, you didn't want my protection. You were unwilling. And so, of course, he pronounces his woe on them. 
But maybe one of the best illustrations of this is where we began this morning, Saul of Tarsus. You might have been wondering, when are we ever going to get to Saul of Tarsus? Well, here, here we are. Now, we've read all those passages, and so think about those passages we read earlier, his former manner of life and what he became, and, and just think about the obstacles that he overcame. He was born into a family committed to Pharisaic Judaism. He, he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, but also a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees, and, and, and they didn't take it lightly either. I mean, you can just tell... By, by, by Saul's attitude about things, the way he was raised and the influence that he was under in his formative years. And so that's the situation he was born into. And yet, and he, he, he broke away from that, didn't he? He was sent to study under Gamaliel, Acts 22 and verse 3. And so, again, that, that just illustrates the interest that his parents had in his development. We're going to send you to Jerusalem so you can study to become a rabbi. You're going to study under one of the best, Gamaliel. And yet, he broke away from that teaching. All of his colleagues were against him, you know. Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he said, you know, I was advancing even, even faster and beyond my own countrymen. And so his, his colleagues, his fellow students under Gamaliel, they were all against him. Becoming a Christian, they would have all been against him. And yet, and yet he chose his own path, didn't he? He faced severe opposition when he became a Christian. He details some of that in his, in his letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 gives kind of a long catalog of the things that he experienced, and the difficulties. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 he says, you know, we're, we're always confronting death. Death works in us, but life in you. And so we're always under the threat of death. And so he faced severe opposition, severe pressure from others, and yet, and yet he resisted that pressure. He was born into a culture that was prejudiced against him if he were to change, and yet, and yet he, he becomes a Christian. So just think about, think about Saul of Tarsus. So we might think, well, you know, if I become a Christian, there's this factor and that factor. And Well, think about Saul of Tarsus and the obstacles he had to face and overcome to become a Christian. And, and of course, he goes on to be a great proponent and advocate for Christ. And the last point I'll make very quickly is, you know, God, God's going to help us overcome these things. Philippians chapter 2 goes on to say, we looked at this first part of this chapter in our Bible class this morning, but he goes on to say in verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of talking about that, aren't we? That, okay, here are some obstacles I'm facing. Okay, look, guys, work, work it out. Work it out. Work on it. Overcome those things. And then verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, you're not on your own. God is helping you. God is at work in you. Both to will, I mean, we talked about that will a minute ago, that desire, the heart, the mind, both to will and to work. God's going to help you to think in the right way and then accomplish those things and achieve those things. In connection with this, I think about Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 begins in verse 26 by saying, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And then he goes on in verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, and, and so forth. And then in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> Holy Spirit is helping you. You know, uh, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. God is for you. He's going to help you. <laughs> so don't, don't be overcome by the obstacles. Understand, I can do it. I, I can overcome these things. God's going to help me do, uh, be, be the kind of pe- person He wants me to be. And so pray for wisdom, and He'll give it. Facing a difficult challenge in your life, pray for wisdom. James says, and he, He'll give it to you. James chapter 1, verse 5. Pray for uh, guidance. Pray for strength. Pray not to be led into temptation. Man, that's what Jesus taught His disciples to pray. Lead us, not, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is not going to leave us alone. We're not alone in the struggle. God is, is going to help us. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You're not not by yourself. You're not on your own. Now, it may be that your family is against you or your friends are against you. That may be the case. But the Lord is with you. And He'll give you whatever you need to deal with those obstacles. The Bible teaches us that we are to practice self-control. Remember Galatians chapter 5 is one of the passages where this idea is found. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. We're to add to our virtue or to our moral desire for moral excellence, self-control. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And so that, that suggests that we're able to determine our own path. Self-control. All right? And so these influences are, are coming to bear on us and trying to move us this way or that way. But... But, but exercise self-control, and we can develop into the kind of person that God would have us. We, we can do it. We can do it if we will. Yeah, that's, that's really the key, isn't it? If we will, you can do it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here today. We're thankful for uh, the message that, that you've given us. We're thankful for the motivation, the inspiration that we derive from your word. Give us, Father, the confidence that we can overcome whatever obstacles there are in our lives, that we can overcome them, and that we can be your people, that we can be the kind of people that you would have us to be. Father, give us this confidence, not not because of our own strength or our own intellect, but we have confidence that you're helping us that you're working in us both to will and to work. And it's because of your strength and the wisdom that you give us and the guidance that you provide for us that we can do these things. And so, Father, help us to trust in you and to lean upon you and to allow you and your word to guide us throughout all circumstances and situations in life. Our Father, we pray that that uh, you'll, you'll be with us in, in this endeavor and that you'll, you'll bring us safely and successfully to the end. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning and